And I want to begin today with a question. Are you a puffer or a builder? Are you a puffer or a builder? In our passage, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So with our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, are we puffing ourselves up or are we building others up? When we come into a room, do we think, here I am. (laughs) When we see someone do something that we don't agree with, I would never do that. I don't struggle with that. I know better. (laughs) When we have a disagreement with someone, a conflict with someone, I've got to be right. They have to know my opinion, and I've got to come up on top. When my rights and freedoms are challenged, that is not okay. It's my right to do that, to have that, to be that. We're puffing ourselves up. For those on the live stream who can't read that well, it says, myself. It's very faded after uh, preaching a lot this morning. (laughs) Puffing ourselves up. Is this attractive? Does this look good? Do you think God likes this kind of Christian? Good answer. (laughs) Do you think other people like this? Do you like this? With our actions, our thoughts and attitudes, what's driving it? Puffing, Puffing ourselves up or building others up? That's the question at the center of our passage today. And uh, Paul's responding to a specific question that the Corinthians ask him. And so what I want to look at is first, how did the Christians, sorry, how did the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, work this out? Second, how do we work it out? And third, how did Jesus work it out? So let's get into it. The first thing that Paul says in 8 verse 1 is now about food sacrificed to idols. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a particularly problematic issue for me, uh, food sacrificed to idols. So to understand what Paul is talking about and what's, what's this issue, I want to take us on a journey back 2,000 years to first century Corinth. And just for a minute, imagine yourself as a Corinthian in that culture, in that place. And every day you go to the temple to worship the god Aphrodite because she is the god of fertility. In order to have a good, thriving family, we have to go sacrifice to her and get involved in the temple worship there. And it's a scary place. There's all these animals everywhere being sacrificed. There's people engaging in all kinds of immoral acts. And there's all this ecstatic chanting all over the place. You're afraid to go, but if if you don't go, then your your family will be cursed. And so you go and you bring your sacrifices, you engage in the revelry, and after your shameful acts, on the way out, you go to the temple court and you buy some food, food that had been sacrificed to Aphrodite. And day after day, you feel a little bit more of yourself being sold to 
this God and, and it's oppressive. It's, it's, uh, you can't break yourself free from this mix of pleasure and pain and fear. It's a prison. Every day, you feel more and more worthless, guilty, shameful. And then you meet a Christian. And they introduce you to someone who doesn't demand anything from you, but actually gave everything for you. They introduce you to Jesus. A man who lived and died and rose again and offers you forgiveness, love, peace, a place in his family. And so, excited about this, this, this man, this God, you give your life to him. And you join a Christian community. And you love that community. It's fun. There's fellowship. There's great teaching. But when it comes to the meals, you notice that they're bringing food that was bought at the temple of Aphrodite. And that food was offered to Aphrodite as sacrifice. And that's confusing for you because does that mean that it's okay to uh, offer and worship other gods? And it, it brings you back to that place of trauma and temptation. Can you see how this is an issue for the Corinthian church in that time? And so the Corinthian church, they send a letter to Paul and they ask this question. Now, I'm, we don't have that letter, unfortunately, but if I were to speculate, I reckon the letter would go something like this. Hey, Paul, you're a wise, learned, godly apostle of Jesus Christ. Could you just tell these silly uh, fussy Christians over here that it is fine to eat food sacrificed to idols, that it's not an issue, so that we can get on with having a great feast and enjoying ourselves. So Paul is responding to the question, is it a sin to eat food sacrificed to idols? So that's the question that he's addressing. So as we go into it and read it, that's the question he's answering. But... In true Paul fashion, he begins with a tangent. He raises the issue now about food sacrifices to idol, food sacrifice to idols. Then he goes on a tangent. So let's read that first. Verse eight, uh, chapter eight, verse one. If you've got a Bible, open it up. It'll also be on the screen. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know what they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Right, he, he begins this issue, but then he says, there's, there's an important principle that needs to be addressed through this. We might know the right stuff, but what really matters is love. Because knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And we might think we know the right stuff, and if we think it's all about what we know then we don't really know anything. We don't really know God. But if we love, and we love God, we're known by God. And so that's the principle he, he lays out first. Then he returns to the question. Verse 4, So then, about eating food, sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, lowercase g, and many lords, lowercase l, 
Yet for us there is but one God, capital G, the Father from whom all things came and from who, for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, capital L, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So Paul says, look, idols are nothing. They're just brick and mortar, sticks and stones. There's no power behind them. But we serve the one true living God. And so is it a problem? Is it an issue? Is it a sin to eat food sacrificed to idols? Well, no, but, but, verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Right? Paul says, for some whose consciences are still weak, who are still learning, still growing, still on their journey of faith, it compromises their consciences. They're brought back to that place of trauma and temptation. It's confusing. If it's okay to eat this meat sacrificed to idols, well, what else is okay? And it causes them to stumble. So is it okay to eat food sacrificed to idol? Or is it a sin? No, but for some, it causes them to stumble. So Paul says, be careful. Be careful. Verse 9, be careful, however, that the, exor- that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For a son with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So then this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way, in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. We have this freedom. We have this right to eat this this food, sacrifice to idols. And we might know better. We might know what's right and what's okay. And we can puff ourselves and indulge ourselves in that freedom. But that's at the expense of others. That's harming and hurting others. And to lead someone away from Jesus To lead someone down a path that brings them away from him is a sin, is not okay. So is eating food sacrificed to idols a sin? No, but yes, if it leads someone away from Jesus, if it hurts or harms someone else, if it compromises someone's conscience. And so if that's the path of puffing up, of indulging our own freedoms in order to get what we want and, and knowing better than other people and, and doing that at the expense of others, what's the path of love? What's the alternative? And that's where Paul offers up himself as a model to follow. <clears throat> Verse 13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them 
to fall. Though he is free, though he has the right, though he has the opportunity to eat meat, sacrifice to idol, he would sacrifice that freedom to build others up, to, to keep others from stumbling. And that's what love in action is. Not puffing ourselves up or building ourselves up or doing whatever suits us, but sacrificing our freedoms, our rights, to build others up. So that's how it was worked out in the Corinthian church. How does that work out for us? How does that work out for us? Because we know better than them. We know not to lead people astray. We would never do that or ever talk about another group of Christians to puff ourselves up at the expense of others, except for them. But it's our default, isn't it? Our default reaction to things, our default stance is to puff ourselves up. When we're talking to someone, we're always trying to one-up the story. How can I say something that makes me look bigger or cooler or better? And if we think about having to sacrifice our rights and freedoms in order to serve someone else, yes, other people should sacrifice their rights and freedoms so that I can get my way. So that, I, you know, I deserve, I'm entitled uh, for other people to accommodate my needs. We're very, very good at justifying our actions. And when we're in our thoughts our actions, our attitudes, what's driving that? Is it to puff ourselves up, to build ourselves up, to indulge our own wants and needs? Or is it love, to build others up? And so often we may not even be aware. We might not even be aware of how our actions are affecting other people around us. We may not be even aware what we say is affecting those around us. And so how do we change from puffing ourselves up to building others up? Well, I've got three things, really four things, and the fourth is the most important. But the first one is take the time to understand other people's struggles. Take the time to understand how other people are struggling. Because how would we know how our actions are affecting other people if we don't know what they're struggling with. And this is where we need a love that listens. This is something that, that I've heard again and again over the last few weeks, a love that listens to other people. There's not quick to speak, but it's keen to hear and understand. So in, in church on Sundays, do we share, about, do we ask how are people going? In our small groups, do we share honestly about our own struggles? And are we willing, willing to listen and hear them out? And not jump in and say, you should be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that. But listening and journeying with people. Now, I'm not saying that we never speak truth or don't speak into those situations. But I'm saying it's a journey. We don't assume people are going to just arrive at the destination straight away. The second thing is we need to get in the habit, the ritual of sacrificing our freedoms, our rights for the sake of love. And this can work out in a whole range of different ways. A very common and traditional application of this is, is drinking, it's alcohol. If we 
if we drink and endorse alcohol with others who are alcoholics and struggling with that, that brings them to a really difficult place. They're trying to break free from that addiction, yet it's here right in front of them and endorsed by other people around us. So, you know, what we do and what we use and what we post on social media, that, that affects other people. So thinking about our actions. Also, it could be the movies that we watch or, or the kind of clothes we dress. We, uh, we covered this passage last night at the Soapbox uh, preacher training uh, thing. And one of the things was raised uh, by a woman was modesty and dressing modestly. modestly. Because it is, you know, when someone, when, particularly guys, but when people are struggling and uh, struggling with lust and things like that, often it's said, well, women particularly need to dress more modestly. Now, absolutely, it's the guy's fault. It's the other person's fault for thinking wrong or to indulging that lust or whatever. And it's your right to wear what you want. To, to you know, you don't have to change in order to accommodate someone else's sin. And that might be the right, that might be true, but that's not necessarily the loving thing to do. It's giving up our rights, our freedoms, to love others, to help. Absolutely, it's their issue, their problem, their sin to confess. But there's things we can all do to help. Now, there's another hot topic I want to cover that potentially has, you've already thought about. And that's the, the government restrictions, masks particularly, and vaccines. And how, how much this past year our rights and freedoms have been challenged. And how are we responding? Now, this is a divisive issue. And I want to I ask, what is driving the discussion what is driving our conversation in response to these things? There's some who consider that every Christian should take the vaccine because that is the loving thing to do. But do they hear people's opinions and people's legitimate health and moral concerns that they have over that? On the other side, there's people who refuse to follow the government restrictions because they're ridiculous. And, but what do people see when... They see you not wearing a mask in, in where you're meant to do or not obeying the government. And then, well, where do we get to pick and choose what we should follow, let alone the health risks that come with that? What's driving our discussion? What's driving our discussion? Is it to serve ourselves and to get what we want? Or is it love, that we would build up the church? Now, I'm not saying that Everyone needs to go get vaccinated or that no one should get vaccinated. But it means how are we going to love each other sacrificially? And that might mean wearing a mask for a little bit longer, even though you feel like it's ridiculous. It might mean if you, if you have no objection to getting vaccinated and just haven't got round to it, going and getting vaccinated if you have no objection. It might mean hearing people out and listening and loving sacrificially. And look, some might disagree with me, and that's okay. That's good. 
We need to have a discussion over this to work out how are we going to move forward. But we need to have that discussion driven by love, not by an attitude of puffing ourselves up, getting what we think is best. So that leads me to the third point. We should make it our goal that others would grow. We should make it our goal that others would grow. Because puffing ourselves up pushes people away. All right? But if we were to build others up, that means putting others above ourselves. It's not about puffing ourselves up, but putting others above ourselves. And we need to work out what, that, what does that mean for us, that our goal is not that we get bigger and better and cooler, but that others get bigger and better and cooler. How can we elevate and serve others? And I've just got a couple of simple uh, examples, but this could work out in a whole range of different ways each, for each and every one of us. And the first one is when we come to church next week, or even after church tonight, looking around the room, we could look around the room and think, who could I go and talk to who really encouraged me? Who am I really keen to have a chat with who would be, who'd be, be awesome to catch up with them? Or we could look around the room and think, who could I go and encourage? Who could I go bless? Who, hasn't, who haven't I seen for a while? Who haven't I talked to? And you know what? It might be a bit awkward. It might be a bit weird and, and confusing and awkward, but do you know what? That's such a small sacrifice to overcome, to love other people. The, the second example is next week we've got the AGM. For those members, we are voting on some very important issues, senior pastor and elder nominations. What's driving your vote? Is it what's best for you or what's best for the church? Because we need a change of heart, our hearts that are naturally inclined to puff ourselves up. How do we change our hearts to then love and build up the church? It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not a stirring sermon. It's not a five-point action plan. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can change our hearts. Because he provides the model of love but also the means for love. Philippians 2, uh, from verse 5, says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He was God. He was the king of the world, the creator of everything, sovereignly powerful over everything. Yet he did not take that to serve himself. He did not hold on to that and lord it over us. But he sacrificed his right to be God. And he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself to death, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. His love led him to the cross. His love, he gave up his rights and his freedom so that he could die for us for our forgiveness and to earn our freedom. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The greatest act of love is Jesus gave up his freedom and right to be God so that we could be saved. He didn't hold it against us. He didn't wait for us to shape ourselves up to to get it right. He didn't say to us, you should know better. He died for us. He died for you. He died for me. He died for others outside this building. He shows us how to love, giving up his rights, sacrificing his own life for us. And he gives us the power to love. Because we don't need to worry about our rights and freedoms on earth because our citizenship is in heaven. The place we belong is not here, it's in heaven. There's nothing that we could do or earn or gain for ourselves that even compares to what God has in store for you. He's prepared a place that is sure and secure that's protected and perfect. And so we can love others sacrificially because God loved us. And so, I will turn to the question I started with. Are you a puffer or a builder? Are you a puffer or builder? How are your actions, attitudes, and thoughts puffing yourselves up? Or building others up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the love that Jesus showed us. That he had every right, yet he gave them up and died for us to bring us freedom, to bring us forgiveness. Lord, we just pray that you would help us love like Jesus, that we'd draw in close to him so that we can hear from him as the great teacher and he would show us how to love. But Lord, we thank you that he gives us the power to love. And Lord, we just want to confess that there's so much that we have done and things we have said that we haven't even realized has hurt other people that we haven't even realized has led people to doubt you, that we haven't even realized has been a discouragement to others. And God, we pray for your forgiveness, and we pray for your help to, to, to realize where we're doing those things, where we're saying those things, and you would help us change, change our hearts to not puff ourselves up, but to build others up, to put others above ourselves. And God, we pray this so that we might glorify you, that as a church and as we're built up together, that we might reflect your love for us so that we be effective in your mission to the world. We thank you so much again for the love that you've shown us. And we pray that we might love others like that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, 
Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.